This is Being Human, David Allen, author and fire starter of the Getting Things Done revolution. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. Delighted to be here. Thanks for the invitation. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so I, well, we're going to get we're going to go deep into your work around getting things done, which is, which is exactly what you're, you're famous for. Um, but before that, I'm intrigued. So you're in Amsterdam, but you didn't grow up in Amsterdam. Am I right? No, I did not grow up in Amsterdam. I grew up in Texas and Louisiana, went to school in Florida, went to grad school in California, stayed in California for you know, 40 years. And uh, my wife and I just moved to Amsterdam about four years ago from Santa Barbara. And what, what, what drove that? What was the motivation to come, come out to Europe? Uh, it was a kind of a perfect storm of things. We don't have kids. And, you know, we were at an age where we saw people slightly older than us that were looking a little more sedentary than we wanted to be. We wanted to get out of sort of U.S.-centric uh, focus and lens. And my wife had never lived outside the U.S. And so we wanted to come to Europe. I just, and my work is getting more global and international. Amsterdam is much more the center of the world than Santa Barbara was. Okay. <laughs> and we love the city. We'd fallen in love with the city. We'd been there a few times. And then um, it could have been anywhere as long as it's a good airport. But boy, you can't beat the airport in Amsterdam. Schiphol is great. Right. And uh, uh, so, you know, we still are in love with the city. The quality of life here uh, is great. Uh, the efficiency, the practicality. You know, we love the Dutch. They're wonderfully direct and, uh, and highly practical and still very elegant in terms of how they do that. And they're very global. I mean, boy, this is a. You know, with what's going on these days, politically, geographically, and so forth, it's nice to at least have the Netherlands as, and, and certainly the Republic of Amsterdam to be, you know, a, sort of its own island and oasis of still open thinking and global thinking and, and so forth. So all of those sort of combined, that, you know, I think we'll stay. Right. But mind you, California is fairly open thinking. I mean, that's my experience of spending time in California. Hmm. We love California. No, it was great. Um, we just, uh, time for a change, you know, sometimes mm. in life you're done and when you're done, you're done. And then, yeah. you know, there's the next chapter. And then so, you know, we don't really miss anything. We, we sort of unhooked, sold everything, gave everything away. So we don't really have anything back in the States other than the, the business, you know, that, w- that we're doing, which is still, you know, headquartered in California. Mm. And so and are you finding working in Europe, are you spotting many differences between you know, the audiences you work with or set, uh, seminars you lead in, in America versus no. in Europe? No. No. Oh, no. Well, getting things done is such a universal methodology, you know, for anybody that's got a busy life can relate to it and, and it would improve their condition, you know, if they implemented it. So that's pretty universal. We haven't seen any cultural bias, national bias, gender bias, personality bias. We haven't seen, I haven't seen any of that anyway in 35 years of doing this work. Wow. Okay. <laughs> no, that's interesting. Um, I, I suppose it does go to the core of yeah, how yeah, how we operate as a as a human being, and yeah, that that would strike me as being yeah. yeah. Well, your brain's your brain is mm. a crappy office, and most people in the world are still trying to use their head as their office, and it sucks as an office. So, you know, the, everybody needs to know about the game of building the external brain. You know, if you want to get more space, you know, to focus on meaningful stuff, kind of that simple. Right. Okay. Uh, and is that, well, is that how you did, well, how would you describe getting things done in a nutshell then for people who've not heard of it, who've not read the book? Well, anything that's got your attention that you can't finish the moment you think of it, that you might need, would, could, should, ought to decide or do something about, you need to capture that. You need to write it down, record it, stick it somewhere in some sort of trusted bucket. And then sooner or later, empty that bucket by taking all those things and making 
clarification decisions about, well, is that an actionable item, yes or no? And if it is, what's the next action? And if one action won't finish it, what's your project? So outcome and action thinking applied to the stuff that's got your attention is transformative. And then mm -hmm. you organize the results of that. If you decide, hey, the next step on mom's elder care is to call my sister. As long as you can't call your sister that very minute, you better have a note somewhere that when you have a phone and time, you are reminded to call your sister to move the needle on mom's situation, <clears throat> right? So it's, in a sense, it's that simple. It's, it's kind of the duh. Anybody listening to this who keeps a diary or a calendar is already demonstrating that their head can't do it. Right. They need some sort of external trigger that the, your, your, your brain is great at looking at your calendar and deciding what to do and, you know, what you want to think about or whatever, but it would be terrible to try to remember everything. They fault remember relationships between more than four things. That's the new data from the cognitive scientists. So, and most people got a whole lot more than four things banging around their head. And so most people tend to be driven by latest and loudest and start to have this sense of overwhelm, which is not required. But it's not, you don't get rid of it by just meditating or drinking, believe me. <laughs> you actually have to think and you have to apply this thought process and you're not born doing it. It's something that I learned and figured out. How do I get stuff off my mind without having to finish it? And right. That's, that's a lot of what the methodology is about. It can get very subtle because you get a, you know, once you handle what has your attention, you'll then discover what really has your attention, which, by the way, once you handle, will allow you to be open to see what really has your attention. So there's a big onion to peel for a lot of people in terms of mm. the things that are really banging around in their psyche. Right. I, I can, I can see that how, how actually keeping your mind busy with these tasks is maybe as a way of avoiding some, some bigger, bigger project or bigger issue in, in your life. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, come on, it's, you know, it's why people get hooked into playing solitaire on their computer instead of writing the first chapter, you know, and so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I don't think it's a real conscious process, but yeah, pretty, pretty easy to get wrapped around the axle, as we say, with all the, all the stuff, you know, mm. at the, at the minutia of life. So being able to, it's, it, life is full of minutiae. You just don't want it to happen twice. I mean, if you think, gee, I need cat food, if that pops into your head twice, you're inappropriately engaged with your cat. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want cat food off your mind, you damn well better write cat food on a post-it on your fridge so that whoever's going to the store will get cat food. You know, <laughs> I don't care how, how mindfulness you want to meditate. If you still need cat food, you know. <laughs> You know, you need to handle the minutiae so you can get past it. Okay. So it's a route actually to being more present to your life. Is, is that way I'm looking at it? It's, that's really the secret here. I mean, getting things done is not so much about getting things done. It's really about being appropriately engaged with all of your commitments so you're fully present with whatever you're doing. Mm. Because that is the most productive state to operate from. It's the best state to hit a golf ball from or cook spaghetti from or have a difficult conversation from is when you're not distracted, when you're fully mm. available and fully present. Uh, and that's that's what this is about, is, is I uncovered what are the things that tend to distract us? What are the things that tend to exhaust our cognitive energies? Uh, because they're not being managed very well in terms of in your head and in your personal systems. And so, you know, if you clean up that act, it gives you a lot more space. What you do with that space will be unique to you. But uh, over the years, I've never seen anybody implement the getting things done or the GTD method, methods and not create more space. Some of them use it to be more creative. Some, some people use it to be more strategic. Some people use it to be more, just more present and have more fun. You know, God knows how you use space.
Yeah, and so for me, certainly the big, because I, I mean, when I found your book, I don't know, the first version of your book, I know the, the 2001 version was, uh, was uh, yeah, it, for me, it's been about managing overwhelm. You know, it's just a brilliant way to stay on, I mean, on top of that overwhelm feeling when you just feel there's too much spinning in your head and, and, it, and it's a great way to systemically manage overwhelm. That's what right. I I've, I've, I've I think somebody appropriately called it knowledge work athletics. <laughs> it, it's it's the moves that you have to take as a knowledge worker and the knowledge worker means you actually have to think to figure out what to do the emails don't tell you what to do with the email mm. <laughs> or seldom they do you know you got to sit down and figure out what the hell is this is this trash did i even need this to begin with is this reference material is this something i might want to move on but not now is there something i actually need to do based upon this thing and you know these are common sense, just good business questions about anything you've let come into your ecosystem. But most people are avoiding doing that thinking process if it's not an immediate, urgent crisis in your face. Right. And, and the other thing that's a really important aspect is, is this, this idea of emptying containers or emptying buckets. So you, you, you have this system of creating buckets and then this really important practice of emptying them. And I, I reread your latest version of GT, Getting Things Done. Right. Of this interview, and I and I remembered that practice, and I'd kind of let that slip a bit, and I, and I've got back into emptying my inbox boxes to zero emails again, and I and I can immediately feel the impact in terms of of, of how health much healthier I feel mentally. Well, it, it just from a functional and practical standpoint, the more uncaptured, unclarified, unorganized backlog that you've allowed into your ecosystem, the more any new input feels like a bitch. <laughs> right you're going to think it's an interruption even if it's cool stuff because you've got this unseen unclarified backlog of stuff that has hidden stuff inside it you know that and you know there's things in there that you might would could should ought to decide or think or do something about but you forgot what it was so it might be more important than anything coming at you and so that's why when i'm not doing anything else richard i'm cleaning up into zero because I, there's a surprise coming toward me i can't see and when that hits, the more minimal my backlog is, the more free I am to be making good, spontaneous, intuitive judgment calls about whether to, what to do about that thing I didn't expect. Right. Yeah, and that's, that's the real practical value of keeping your backlog to zero. Mm. And, you know, to, to your point, too, is that your car drives better if you get it cleaned, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, this is, uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, clean, clean it's just clean the boot of your car and it'll feel, you'll feel much more like hopping in and driving into the, into the country. You know, <laughs> it just kind of works that way. Yes, yes. So I'm interested, I mean, this has obviously been a life mission for you or certainly for the last, you know, over a decade now. Where, where did it all start for you? What, what got you so animated? You wanted to write the book and, and do something about this? Well, it, it, it took me 20, 20 years to figure out what I'd figured out. Okay. And, that it was, and that it was unique. And I figured it out first for myself because my life was getting more complex and it started to disturb that space that I'd tasted, which was clear space in the martial arts and spiritual practices, meditation and so forth. But as my life got more professionally complex, uh, you know, I saw it screwed up, you know, clear space pretty, pretty fast. And so I said, well, how do I get back to that? And then I began to uncover techniques that work for myself so I could stay more focused on what I was doing. And I turned around into my own, you know, my initial consulting practice uh, back in the early 1980s. I started using these techniques as I was uncovering them with my clients. And it turned out it produced exactly the same results as it did for me. More of a sense of control, more focus, more 
you know, room for them to focus on the most meaningful things, either in their business or their personal life, you know, both. And that sense of clarity that kind of shows up when you, when you, when you apply this stuff. And that was, that was kind of a universal experience for those folks. And then somebody in the big corporate world ahead of human resources uh, saw what I was doing. They said, wow, we need that experience in our whole culture, more control, more accountability, more, you know, all that good stuff. You know, if you, if you're in that world, you know, there's a big need out there for people, especially the, the more senior they get, uh, you know, so your junior people that don't have that much ambiguity to deal with, you know, they, their jobs kind of laid out for them, but the higher up you get, the more weird it gets. And the more likely you are to be avoiding, you know, things and avoiding decisions about what to do about those kind of, those kind of things. So who knew? And so I found myself, you know, anyway, so we did a pilot program where I, I designed a two day seminar around the, these methods and a pilot program for a thousand executives and managers. And it worked it hit a nerve. This was Lockheed 1983, 84. So I found myself thrust into the corporate training world. Now my academic background was American intellectual cultural history. Right. And if you had told me in Berkeley in 1968, when I was in graduate school, that I was going to be in the corporate training world, I'd have said, what are you smoking? You know, come on, give me a break. You know, but I wound up in that world. And it turned out that it produced the, 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 the method tended to produce much more transformative experiences for people than it looks on the front end. It looks, it is very simple. It's a very simple thing. But what people started to experience once they actually applied it was, was just basically phenomenal. And so testimonials just came in legion. This changed my life. Oh my God, this made such a difference. I was able to keep my job or I was able to change my job. I, I knows, you know, I, I, all the kinds of things that happened. So that's, I guess, why I stayed very motivated about it because I discovered I, I had uncovered something that was universal and universally needed and universally produced uh, um, improved value in people's conditions. No matter what, no matter who it was. So, God, I mean, what a what a what a blessed gift to wind up, you know, having a profession. And not only that, I'm so lazy, you know, to find something that I don't have to change what I say, no matter who I talk to. Right. <laughs> how cool is that? <laughs> you know, the biggest miracle is how many ways I've been able to say twelve things for the last thirty-five years. <laughs> But I suppose if you've hit on something that's fundamental and yeah. it's right down at a set of principles levels, then yeah, yeah, it is just about repeating the message in ways that people can understand it. Sure. Well, I mean, how many ways can you understand electricity? And still nobody really gets it. Mm. <laughs> but we use it and it's highly useful stuff. You know, so it's, it, it, there's a never ending sort of level of subtlety. Of the, the whole art of really how do you manage the flow of life's work, work in the broad sense thing you want done and so this is never ending art much like how good can you get at cooking spaghetti how good can you get at, at, at speaking italian how good can you get at, at dancing the tango how good can you get at being a parent how good can you get at being a leader i mean come on there's that those are not ending events they're hmm. much and that's what this is too this is this is like i'm still improving and refining how well you know, I manage the flow of my, my work and my interest and my, and my stuff that I do. Right. Right. One thing that struck me when I was, again, rereading the 2015 edition was, of Getting Things Done was, what about for creatives? So for the, because a lot of the, the focus of the, of, the, of the system is that you declutter and you clear and you, and you organize. And so it's a, de- 
what about for those who are more in a creative process who actually feel like the clutter and the and the disorder some helps with their creative process? I mean, have you ever found people who push back from that perspective? Oh, a lot of people push back from it initially until they start to experience what this is. Uh, big champion of my stuff, a guy who was producing music videos and uh, you know doing all kinds of really cool stuff, and and he thought his most creative time was when he let life just back up on him and he was overwhelmed. And then he just took his hands and shoved everything off of his desk. And okay, now I'm going to be creative. And he just, then he, he, yeah, he was a little bit more creative, but he also then had to, had, had to eat all the stuff that he screwed up, you know, and all the things that fell through the cracks and that came around and bit him in the butt. And so he discovered when he applied this methodology, it's like, wow, I don't have to wait till this thing gets crazy. I can actually start to experience that kind of creative space and not have to pay the price <laughs> of, of all the stuff I had let fall through the crack or to deal with that. And I've had oh, zillions of people, you know, do that. And there are people, you know, who publicly, you know, who are in the sort of creative professions out there who've publicly acknowledged that. I mean, you know, probably one of my biggest fans is, you know, probably the best known radio personality in the U.S., Howard Stern. And Howard, you know, broadcast his 5 million listeners on Sirius Radio. You know, he said, you got to do this David Allen stuff. This is incredible. It actually gave him time to actually learn to paint, which he'd always wanted to do, and also maintain his businesses that he, you know, was kind of up up to his eyeballs in terms of the, the stress of him. And, you know, he's now a different guy. And, you know, Will Smith and, and Robert Downey Jr., both champions of my stuff, give my book away to, you know, their friends and, you know, just to do that. So it, it, there is, I, there is a, a, a misconception well, it's like, uh, you know, one of the most creative professions would be, you know, Michelin star chefs, right? Yeah. But as you know, the French have a saying, the French chefs have a saying called mise en place. Before you start that evening, you damn well better have every tool, every ingredient, everything in place, mm. right? And that's where your creativity is able to shine is if you don't have to worry where the knife is or where are the mm. tomatoes. Mm. <laughs> Come on. You know, as I say, you're actually, you're actually the most... You're most creative when you have the room to make a mess. But if you're in a mess, you can't make one. <clears throat> right, right. And that's actually having me think it. So I saw a documentary with Brian Eno. I'm not sure if you're aware of him. You know, um, no. So he's a, he's a, yeah, a major sort of British creative force in the, in the music industry. And he, there was this documentary of his studio and it was immaculate. I mean, it was, it was a beautiful studio, you know, and clean and clear. And, and this guy is, yeah must be one of the most creative guys of his generation um so yeah now no, that, that comes to mind i can see that you create the space and then yeah well but you need to be able to be create you need to be able to make a mess you know you, you do i mean come on even just in project planning and brainstorming you need room to make a mess hmm. let me have any idea bad good indifferent or whatever let me just throw it up there and, and kind of throw up onto the whiteboard you know whatever and that's that's really then the then you then you see the gold in all the stuff but you, you couldn't do that if the whiteboard was already full of crap, <laughs> right? You need a clean whiteboard to start to be able yeah. to really unload and to be able to be creative and spontaneous and, you know, and, and range into territories that you've never been before. Right, right. So for people, so we've talked a little bit around the, the getting things done philosophy. Can you break it down into like the, the three or four key facets of it that people need to implement to, to make this work? Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, we basically recognized, we, I didn't make it up. I just recognized the step, the steps you go through to get any situation more under control and more focused. And that's the five steps. You can see it on our website. It's like to capture, clarify, organize, reflect, 
and engage. That's how you get your kitchen under control. You, you'd first capture. There's a capture step, which I'd mentioned before, which is, you know, get stuff out of your head that, you, that has your attention. Notice what's not on cruise control, in other words. You understand cruise control or, or automatic pilot. It's, th- those are the things, for the most part, that are popping into people's mind. Situations that are not yet appropriately engaged with. So you need to recognize those and identify those. That's the capture step. But then you need to take each one of those discreetly and make those kind of decisions I mentioned before. Is this an actionable item? Yes or no? And if so, what's the next action? And if that won't finish whatever this is about, what's the project? So making those kind of clarifying decisions, you know, the late, great Peter Drucker, you've got mm-hmm. leadership, you know, management people listening to this who probably remember or know who Peter Drucker was. He would tell everybody, look, the toughest work of a knowledge worker is to, to define what their work is. It's not self-evident. That's the nature of knowledge work. It is not an obvious thing when you show up in the morning what you need to do. You actually have to think to figure out what to do you know, out of all that yeah. stuff. He, and so it was a warning that he gave. He didn't tell you how to do that. He just mentioned that, that was, that's the big danger or that's the big challenge or the opportunity of a knowledge worker is to do that. So getting things done is just the algorithm, essentially, of what, are, what do I need to decide about this email? Is it actionable? Yes or no. And if it is, what's the next action? But in a sense, it's that simple, but most people avoid those questions like the plague. They'll make those decisions when the heat on the situation becomes a crisis because they have to. But, uh, you know, you want to make those decisions when it shows up, not when it blows up. That's a big change. So making the decisions about what all this stuff is, that's step two, which is the clarification step. And for the first step, by the way, you just need in baskets and note taking wallets and paper and pen. I mean, you know, or any recording device works for that. Step two, the clarifying step, the only tool you have is your forebrain. You know, if you, you have to think. There's no software. I don't care how. There's no software that's going to tell you what you need to do next about mom's elder care. You know, you actually have to think to figure that out and make a decision about it. Then step three would be, okay, that's a call I need to make, but I can't make the call right now. That's then where you organize. And then step three is to organize the results of that decision making so that your brain doesn't have to keep remembering and reminding that I need to call my sister. You know, I've got that. I've got now a placeholder, just like your calendar or your diary. I've got a placeholder now for that so that my brain doesn't have to keep keeping track of that. And that's what organized is, is basically having a trusted system that you trust. You'll see at the right time with the right content in it. Uh, so that's organized. And then, and then, of course, even if you've captured, clarified and organized everything into your system, if you don't look at your system, <laughs> you know, you don't, that's the reflect. You know, if you look at your diary and say, where do, what's the next week look like and feel like, you're already doing the reflection mode. You're, you're stepping up, lifting up a little bit in your horizon to see, locate yourself more in space and time in a larger, in a larger scale, essentially. And that's the reflection. And reflection could go anywhere from reviewing your life purpose and your core values all the way to reflecting on where do I need to be this afternoon on my calendar, right? And all of those are a reflection process. So, so once I've got the system and have it populated, then I need to engage with that system at the right time in the right place and look at the things I need to, to orient myself. If I'm going out for errands, I don't need to see anything except my list of eight errands that I need to run. Then my brain can be deciding, do I want to do them all or do I want to do these three or, you know, do I want, which order do I want to do them in? Or, you know, that, that's where your intelligence comes in is, is making decisions out of your content, but not trying to remember what the content is or keep it organized. You know, that's, that's where you need the external brain to do that. So that's how the, the reflection process on the things you've organized. 
and the things you need to think about. And then step five is engage. Okay, now where do you put your attention, your focus, or whatever? And I used to, in the, in the first version, I used the word do, but most people so have has such a pre-misconception about getting things done that it means harder, faster, busier. You know, and so it, engage means take a nap, engage with your rest, engage with, you know, refreshing your brain, which we know now is required so that you, your cognitive abilities are, 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 are optimized. And so engage just means decide to do whatever you're doing, read a magazine, play a video game, hang out with your kids, whatever. But it's a, from a trusted choice, not a hope for choice. That's the difference. So the best practice is, is if you've done the first four best practices, you've captured, clarified, organized, and, re- and reflected on all the stuff. Then when you decide to take a nap, it's a power nap. As opposed to I'm taking a nap to avoid all the stuff I don't want to think about. You know, so it looks like the same event. <laughs> you know, you know that. So there's a there's a there's a high performance beer and there's an avoidance beer. Right, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> high performance yeah. beer says you look at everything, and go no, I'm going to have a beer. That's the best thing to do right now out of all those options. That's a really good beer. You know, think of how yeah. look at how many things. Since overwhelming subliminal stress that I'm walking around with. Yeah. Allowing you to be a lot more human, not only in your work, but in your life. Yeah. 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 And so for people implementing this, what's the, what's the toughest thing that people have with it in your experience and, and how, and how do you coach them? Ba- basically everything. Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Changing the habit of writing things down when they pop into your head takes two years for some of the, for some of the savviest adults that I've worked with. It's a big habit to change. It's easy to do. But to make it habitual where you feel uncomfortable. If I said, oh, Richard, if you say, hey, David, would you get back to me about that? I would feel uncomfortable if I didn't grab my pen and paper right here, right now, which I've got right in front of me, by the way, and grab that. So how long does it take to make that habitual, right? How long does it take to make it habitual to get your in baskets to zero? You know, you can test, you just testify that you let it slip. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really good at it for years and then I let it slip and it slipped for years and I've just got back into it. Right, yeah. right. And so, and then even when people do that, they, they don't have a system that they trust and they haven't got, you know, it's not populated with all the right stuff. Most people's systems are incomplete piles of unclear things that they just keep rearranging, you know, which doesn't help, creates as much stress as it relieves. Right. Because they haven't captured and clarified so that they can trust their list are complete and, and have exactly what they need to be reminded of in there. Yeah. So that's a place people fall down to. And then once they do that, then even if they got going, the reason you fell off is you weren't doing weekly reviews. So the weekly review called once a week, catch up, bring everything back to closure, bring everything back to clean your car again, clean your drawer again, clean your desk again, clean your kitchen again, you know, get back to clear space. Right. right. And if you don't do that regularly, if you do that, you'll keep enhancing, you know, your ability to do this work. If you don't, you'll fall off pretty fast because you won't trust either your list or your head. And I, and I, that's another thing actually, where again, rereading your book is what I realized I wasn't doing is I keep the, the projects list, which is part of your, your method. And I, I just leave things sort of ossifying in there. And there's that sort of someday maybe projects on there. And I just wasn't coming back and saying and killing them. Right. And saying, is this really a project I'm going to do? Is this really, should this really be on the list and, and not? Yeah, so I want to get back to that discipline of care. Well, that's why this, the someday maybe list is a real sleeper uh, part of the methodology because that's a place to put those so you don't lose those good ideas. 
it's a good idea. I just don't have the resources or bandwidth at the moment to move on it, but I don't want to lose the idea. You know, so that's a, that's a great category to have. They give you, and then it keep, keeps your creative process open. Yeah. But, but you've got to, you've got to then trust that you, uh, to your point that you've got no, no ossification or mildew, you know, happening on your project list. Cause then you won't trust it and you don't yeah. want to look and you won't want to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. You go, you go numb to it. Mm. So, and then, you know, so all of those are mistakes are not mistakes. All of those are challenges for people, the habits for people to change about. That's why I say it's all of those. It, it, it's as simple as this sounds to make that habitual so that you truly feel uncomfortable with anything on your, on your mind other than whatever you're doing. You know, that that's, and it's, it's, you know, the only reason you allowed yourself to slip is your addiction to your stress, your willingness to, <laughs> no, your willingness to tolerate those feelings. It's a nervous laughter. Yeah. It's, it's, of not doing it. Yeah. You know, it's not like you're going out to shoot up stress. You just, this, you're willing to tolerate that. You're willing to tolerate. See, if the good fairy showed up and disappeared, everybody's emails to zero, right? F- totally clean, fresh slate, you know, no emails at all. In three weeks, everybody have about the same number they have right now. Because it has nothing to do with volume. It has to do with your comfort zone of how many unprocessed, unclarified stuff you're willing to tolerate. Mine is zero. Now, it's never zero because there's always email coming in. But, you know, if it's not zero, then I have an inclination. It's like taking showers or brushing my teeth. You know, I empty my end basket and I do regular reviews for the same reason I take showers and brush teeth. If I don't, the scuzz factor just gets too high. It's just yeah. psychic. It's psychic scuzz. That's all. And that's interesting because now I've, I've gone back to this discipline of getting my inbox down to zero. And now if I get to you know, halfway through the afternoon and I can see maybe there are 10 or 12 emails in there, I start to feel a little bit of anxiety. And I, I'm almost looking forward to the next morning where I'm going to get it back down to zero again. Yeah. And, and here's the danger thing, Richard that's coming towards you, which is you're going to get so good at this and so comfortable with this. You really can let your life just get really friggin' out of control and you're fine because <laughs> I know how to clean up and I'll get, I'll clean it real fast. Yeah. And it, it, it kind of gives you that freedom to go just make a mess about your life. Cause you know, you can fix it. Yeah. Most people don't know how to fix it. So their life mm. just kind of becomes messy and then they're afraid there's no way to clean up the mess. And they start to just kind of get comfortable with, to get very familiar with living in that angst. Mm. It reminds me of a Mick Jagger quote. It's something like, you know, let yourself go and let yourself back. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I use the we use the, the the image in our seminars of, you know, we talk about mind like water. It's kind of like that sense of the, that martial arts idea of not, not mm. over or underreacting and always seeking its level and so forth. Because water is a good metaphor for that. But it could be, you know, surfing a huge wave. So it could be a, the water can look like a lot of things. But as long as, you know, a good surfer, as long as they got a good board and know how to surf, they love those big waves. Hey, come on, bring it on, right? But they're always going to fall off. Me too. You too. They just have a, something called an ankle tether. So that thing is wrapped around their ankle and tied to the board. So when they fall off, they can get back on real quick. So GTD is very much like that. It's very easy to fall off this game. But as long as you know what the game is, it's very easy to get back on. Mm-hmm. So you probably demonstrated that at least to some degree. All you had to mm-hmm. do was you know, there's no big mystery. You just sat down and emptied your head again and clarified again what these things were and, and re- reassessed, you know, uh, what was on your list and refreshed them. You know, come on. Yeah. And, and, I'd always, and, I'd, and through it all, I'd kept a couple of the practices going. So I was always logging things. I was keeping lists right. and breaking things down into next actions. I was always doing that. It was just right. certain capture mechanisms. I wasn't, yeah, it was just 
two or three parts of the process. I wasn't really on top of them. No, you were obviously way way ahead of the planet already, but it's just that those refined little pieces that you were talking about, Mm. because you know, I'm of two minds. People say, well, how much of this do I really need to do? I'll go, how, how, how important is it for you to have nothing on your mind? See, anything, any of these techniques is going to improve your life. As you probably know, just the two minute rule. If, yeah, yeah had, which, which had, I have been very good at. Yeah. Yeah. I've had executives tell me that was worth the whole price of my coaching of them with just the two minute rule. If they hadn't had it before, it made a whole, huge difference in their life and their productivity. That, and for those of you listening, if you're not familiar with that, that just means once you decide the next step on something, if that next action takes less than two minutes, you should actually do it right then. If you're ever going to do it at all, because it would take you longer to organize it and look at it again than to finish it right then. And most people have a lot of two-minute stuff just hanging around in their life that shouldn't be there. You know, it should be a lot more like right. Teflon, not, not yeah. let those things hang around. So any little piece of, that, uh, of the best practices that have sort of emerged in this methodology will improve your life. You know, mm-hmm. if, you, if you just keep a pen and paper by your bed, you'll sleep better. You know, so none of this, this, we say this is not like running with scissors. There's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing dangerous about any of these techniques, and they're all going to be easy to do, and they'll all improve your life. That said, if you don't do it completely, you won't trust either your head or your system. And there's a, it, it is a light year difference. It's, it's a whole transformative difference to truly have your external brain complete. And nothing you know, is, is piling up anywhere or backing up on any cracks you know, in, in, your, in your life and your system. There's a mm-hmm. huge, huge change that happens then. Yeah. And this, this distributed brain... You mentioned as well in your latest book about how psychology and neuroscience is starting to catch up with some of your early principles, and that was one example, right? There's been more research on this idea of the of distributed right. cognition, right? And and there are some other aspects. That, is is it worth touching on there? Where yeah, <clears throat> it's all pretty much the same thing. I mean, there's several books you know that I recommend to people. Atul Gawande's book, uh, The Checklist Manifesto, is brilliant. Uh, you know, just how critical checklists are that they, so you don't miss anything that's critical in terms of any kind of procedure or, or practice and that it frees up your mind to be doing creative things as opposed to trying to remember what's on the checklist. Right. I mean, duh. And two, two books can, can, have come out in the last two or three years. One's the organized mind by Dan Levitin, head of cognitive research at uh, cognitive science at, at McGill university. Uh, and, you know, it, basically his thing is building the external brain. And then Teo Copernoli in, in Brussels, brilliant, you know, uh, medical doctor, neuropsychiatrist, uh, psychotherapist, and now executive stress coach. <laughs> is, you know, he has curated the 600, the latest 650 research projects in cognitive science. And then his, his book, Brain Chains, which is two words, Brain, brain Chains, chains. Yeah. Yeah, is uh, it, it brilliant about all of this. And a whole lot of it is, is how necessary it is for your, for your brain to relax. And it needs relaxation space. Otherwise, you're going to be suboptimal and stop the distractions. And, and he has, has a lot of data about that. And yada, yada. And, you know, Willpower, which is a great book. Roy Bellmeister is one of the top cognitive surgeons. They actually came and interviewed me when they were writing the book. Because they were, they, were, they were saying, gee, David, how, you know, we spent 30 years in academic research and have uncovered how critical this stuff is. How'd you figure this stuff out 30 years ago? <laughs> so they were fascinated by, you know, by the fact that this methodology was already there. As a matter of fact, every, all those people I just named are big champions of this methodology in my, in my book. So mm. there's a lot of research out there now about that. I and mean, anybody who wants to dig into that, just, just do a, 
do a Google search on distributed cognition or building the external brain or any of that. You'll see, right. you'll see a lot, of, a lot of stuff that's, that's shown up out there. Yeah. Okay. And on a, on a practical level. So, uh, so the way that you describe the, the system in the book is very much physical with physical pieces of paper and files and so on. Um, I tend to actually implement it electronically. And I think there are a lot of people now, maybe they're in offices where they have a hot desk. They don't necessarily have a, a permanent desk. Um, I use a, a Kanban tool. I don't know if called Trello. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yep. But for, for people who are kind of fully electronic now, do you have recommendations for tools or, or how, they, how they go about it? No. <laughs> Nothing different than what I just said. I mean, what's the difference between getting an email from somebody asking you to do something and them stopping in the hall asking you to do something? Nothing. It's just, it's just the, the, the medium is, you know, you got paper medium, you have digital medium. What's the difference? It's input, right? And what that input looks like, whether that's somebody just talking to you or where you're taking notes, you know, uh, in physical notes, and you're still getting paper mail. I'm sorry. You know, you're not going to get rid of paper, Richard. Sorry. Very little though. Yeah. You're right. So five, 2% of my correspondence. Yeah. But, but if you have any crack in your system where you can't manage paper in the same way, then that's going to back up on you and, and pile and you're going to wind up with stuff in your stacks. You pick it up and you go and you drop it on the side of your desk. As a, now, you, now you've just screwed up your system. Right. right. Now you're no longer me some plus, you know? So yes. you need to be, you need to have the capability to do both digital and physical. If you don't, if you, then you're just, you know, being immature relative mm. to working, working the process, but the process mm. is exactly the same. Mm. You know, I understand that email is the big bear out there just because the tsunami of how many things you get now, how easy it is for people to get to you, you know, through all that, you just have to get fast and good and don't open and close it. You know, right. you open it and you go, huh, and you close it up again. Eh, no light at the end of that tunnel. You know, come on. I do emergency scanning too. You know, if I'm, I am going to run, do something, I want to see if there are any jokes or any cool things or any burning barns in my email. Sure, I do that too. But, you know, I'm clean up pretty much to, you know, every 24 to 48 hours, you know, get all that zeroed out. So I don't have any backlog, you know, in that nature. But there, there is no difference. And basically all you need for organization are lists. And so there are hundreds and hundreds, as you may know, of Trello and, you know, Todoist and, 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 oh, Nosby and, oh, God, there's, you know, gazillion out there that have actually most of them built on the GTD model. You know, they, they mm. just kind of got it because every one of those that you named came to me and said, David, we built the Graves GTD app. And I go, ho-hum, you know, and they've all got different bells and whistles, but that's all they are, just list managers. So take your pick. Right, right, right. So is there anything right now for you, your, your big project in terms of anything you're changing your life or your system? or mm, Not really. I, the nature of our work has changed now that we have elegant partners all over the world. We've now you know, finalized a partnership with Vitalsmarts in the U.S. to be the exclusive distributor of our GTD trainings, public and in-house, in the U.S. and Canada. And we've now officially are in 60 countries with licensees and franchisees who we've trained the master trainers uh, to then be able to then distribute this training in their local languages and regions and so forth. And so a lot of what I'm doing is helping support and helping those folks get traction with their businesses. And, you know, that's so we've sort of shrunk ourselves from 50 people down to about six, you know, because we're just basically an IP licensing company now. And I still do a good bit of. 
of you know keynote speaking and master classes. As a matter of fact, tomorrow I'm flying to Australia to do three master classes in you know Melbourne and Sydney and, and Brisbane. And and I was just in Russia. I was just did a TEDx in Curacao. Uh, I was just in Chicago and just in Texas, you know, so I'm, I, I'm kind of ad hoc in terms of what I'm doing with my life, but I've been doing that, you know, for the last 30 years. Uh, and I just sort of go, whoever's interested in me talking about all this stuff and, and, you know, in, in some way, shape or form or fashion. So that's really, you know, I can't imagine, you know, I'm, I'm 72 now. So I, I, at some point, probably having a little more time to do kind of nothing, <laughs> you know, or kind of at my discretion. Well, that'll, that'll probably happen. But I, it's, as you can tell, like, it's hard for me to stop talking about what this stuff is. Cause... Well, I mean, I'm just struck by the, what you've just told me. that You're 72. I mean, wow. I mean, you've, yeah. I mean, you, you don't come across as, yeah, 72. Oh. Hopefully, right. I, hopefully, I don't come across as 85. So hopefully, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, this uh, is 97. No, no, you... you Maybe that's testament to your process. I mean, your process. Do you do you think it has an, it has had an impact on the aging process for you? Oh, I think so. Because well, if stress has an effect on your aging process, then certainly you know I've learned years ago how to minimize that stuff. And certainly, I eat my own dog food. You know, I I practice what I preach. Mm. And I, I guess I'm not a motivational speaker, but I tend to motivate people because I speak the truth from my own experience of this and the experience of thousands of hours working with the best, brightest and busiest folks on the planet with this methodology and watching what happens. So there's a sense of confidence people feel from me just by me talking about it. You can't poke a hole in this guys. You know, so you, when you hear that, when you feel that you get the experience of that, then it's, then, you know, then that to a lot, to a large degree becomes motivational for a lot of people. Um, and, but again, I'm not a rah-rah motivational speaker. As I say, you don't even have to like your life to get it off your mind. <laughs> but it's gonna. You're, but you're gonna have a lot more, a lot more fun with the life you, that you don't like. Uh, you know, if, if your head's empty. So you got more time to compromise, compliment, com- <laughs> contemplate what shit lies you. <laughs> right. Really. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so final question for all my guests to you, David Allen. Uh, what What does being human mean to you? Not just being authentic. I mean, there's there's honesty, and then there's honesty, and then there's honesty, and then there's authenticity. You know, I could honestly tell you that I don't really like you, Richard. But if I'm really authentic, I said, Richard, look, I just want to love and be loved. And there's something in the way of us being able to do that. That's the authentic nature. So more understanding who I am, what really matters to me is, the you know, getting to the more of the authentic nature of stuff. And I think authenticity is what you'll notice for the really, really good leaders, the really good uh, artists, the really good whatever is like, there's no BS. Hmm. You know, they're straight. It's one, of, it's one of the reasons we love the Dutch is they're so they're so they're quite well known for being quite direct. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. Hey, let's have lunch. And they go, why? <laughs> <laughs> and then and they're not being mean. They're going, why? What would you what would you like to have lunch for? Right. I find it, I find the Nordics even more so. Right. Yeah. Right. I work with the Norwegian. Yeah. Very direct. Okay. Well, thank you. And just as we, as we wrap up the David, what, where's the best place for people to find you and your work? You know, where, where should people head? What's the yeah. Best place? Well, you know, again, a lot of our work is being done by our partners, but you'll find who they are and where they are and where, what they're doing on our website, www.gettingthingsdone.com. If you go there, take a look, you'll see, 
you know, kind of what's going on around the world with this material. And obviously the new edition of Getting Things Done is the manual about all this. So wherever good books are sold, you can find that it's in 30, 30 languages somewhere around the world. So, you know, you could probably find it wherever you are. Uh, right. If you want to do that, of course, the British version of it, they've misspelled a lot of the words, but that's okay. Because they're catching up. Right. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, and yes, uh, good luck with your uh, trip to Australia. And, uh, uh, thanks. By the time people listen to this, I will have come back, I'm sure. So you know, it, it will have already been done. So thanks, Richard. I enjoyed the interview. It was fun. Thank you. Thanks, David Allen. Thank you.